You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So, um, my dear friends in the back, can you guys turn those lights down again? <laughs> I'm that old curmudgeon pastor, yeah. Oh, those lights are too bright. Um, but I can't see anybody, right? <laughs> I think there's people out there. Um, so, my name is David, one of the pastors here. One of the things we uh, wanted to point out is uh, Alpha starts this Wednesday, I think. And Alpha is a great opportunity for you to gather around a meal and ask any questions you have about life, about anything. And it's really good. And there's a good meal, and it takes, up at our, it takes place up at our Mariner campus, and it begins this Wednesday. So there's more information on the website about that, but that's a big deal. And so that starts this Wednesday. The other thing is that you'll, you'll, you'll find... If you're around the church, you're going to find some young people kind of with big eyes and kind of not quite knowing what they're doing, but doing stuff. There are interns, uh, there are pastoral apprentices, and we have the pictures up there. And so they are going to be joining us this year, yeah, from September right through April. And uh, this is a program that we've run for a number of years in our church. I oversee the program. Um, and it's just opportunities for young people to explore whether or not God is calling them into pastoral ministry. And often at the end of the year, it's like, yeah, no, he's not. Uh, uh, he's not. I thought he was, but he's not. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. So you'll see a lot of our, our interns uh, wandering around. And so uh, if you see them, say hello to them. Okay, so we're going to carry on in our series in the book of Acts. This is what we've been doing for the last few weeks. And just as a recap, the book of Acts is a story of the early church. It takes place in the immediate aftermath of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And more precisely, the book of Acts is a story of what happens when the Spirit of God falls upon his people. And when people put their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ, their lives will never be the same again. And so the book of Acts is a story of God's transforming power. And, you, and we see this all through the book of Acts. You see, I mean, one clear example, and we'll see this today, is one of the key figures in the book of Acts is a guy named Peter. And if you're familiar with um, the stories of Jesus, the Gospels, uh, you'll know that Peter figures largely in those stories as well. But who he is is really different from the Gospels to the book of Acts. Uh, in the Gospels, you know, Peter, he's, he's kind of, you know, he, he talks a big talk. But when, when the pressure comes, he, he, he runs for the hills or he denies that he even knows Jesus, if you know the story. I mean, he talked a big talk, but when, when Jesus gets arrested and people are like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Like, hey, man, I, I, know not, I don't even know this guy. And then you read in the aftermath of the resurrection, this huge change that takes place in the life of Peter. And he goes from this guy who's quite uh, anxious, quite afraid, quite confused, to being a very different person. His life was completely changed because of Jesus. Now, my guess, and I know many of you here, 
My guess is that many of you can give a similar testimony to the impact of Jesus in your own life. I know I, know I can. Um, many of you, you're no longer the person you once were. And the transformation that we see on one hand is surprising, but on the other hand it's not because even at the beginning of the book of Acts, we read that Jesus promised that those who follow him, they're going to be um, empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the reality of Jesus, not just to Jerusalem, not just to Judea, but to the ends of the world, right? And so that's why we're calling this series Witness. And so last week... um, Who was here last week? Was it Sam? Sam, yeah. And he he preached on chapter 2, I I hope. Um, And you get a picture of what what this transformed community looks like. And you see it in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42 and uh, in 43. And we read things like, um, you know, that all this new church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so it's a transformed community. It's an incredible picture. And it reminds us that when God is at work, stuff happens. And our world will never be the same. What we're going to look at today is the transformation that takes place in one particular life. The story of a beggar. And I think this is important because it's a reminder that God works in the details of our lives. God is a God of particularities. God is a God. God does not work in generalities. I say say this quite, quite often. God does not love humanity. God loves you. And he knows you by name. And God's love is so infinite that he knows you and he loves you finitely. And that's really important. Because sometimes we think, oh, this God, you know, he's looking after the universe. What would he want with me? But he actually knows everything about you. His love is so infinite, he can love us finitely. And so we get a picture, an example of the power of Jesus at work in this individual who lived on the margins of society. And so... I want to invite you, when you hear the word today, lean in and then ask, Jesus, what are you inviting me to this morning? Okay? So we're going to look at chapter 3 in the book of Acts. Uh, If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 3. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read it. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at them, at, at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, 
he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when, they, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him to walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Jesus, this is your word. You're not a philosophy or a worldview. You're not a, a concept. But you are personal and you are present with your people. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, this story begins with uh, two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, uh, making one of their daily trips to the temple. Um, to pray. And uh, there's uh, different times a day that you would pray. Uh, they go at this time in the ninth hour, which is about three in the afternoon. And, and we know that uh, the early Christians, they continued to work and uh, they con continued to worship in the temple, but they would also gather in homes. And so they arrive at three o'clock. And what you would find often at the gates of temples, um, entrances to places of worship, were beggars. Uh, it was prime location. It's prime location because it's often awkward when you're on your way to worship Yahweh to not express the love of God <laughs> to those who are asking for help. Um, and so that's what happens. The... Uh, they're walking by these, uh, these beggars. And we read about the, a man who is crippled from birth, we read. And he's at the entrance gate called Beautiful. That's the name of the gate. And so what I'd like you to do is imagine. Imagine what it would be like to be this beggar. Put yourself into his place. Listen to the sounds of the crowds around you. Smell the smells. Feel the dust in your clothing, on your hands, in your mouths. Your hands are cracked and dry. Feel the hard ground under you. Right? You're lying there. And think of what it would be like every day, every day to be carried. So you get up in the morning, you wake up in the morning, and somebody carries you to the temple. Are they your friends? 
Are they people that are exploiting you, demanding a cut from whatever you get during the day, which is often the case? Every day they carry you and they plop you down at the same place every morning at the entrance of the, te of the temple. And every day, from morning to night, you beg for money. That's your life. Every day, the same misery. You can't walk. You can't walk. So you're stuck there. What do you eat? When are you taken home? And what would home be? Like, what is your home? And the thing is, it's always been that way. And it will always remain that way. For the rest of your cruel life, being taken every day, plopped down at this temple and asking for money. And you've been doing this because you're just over 40 years old. You've been doing this for a long, long time. Dependent upon the foot traffic of the pious in order to survive. But this particular day, same day, you survey the crowd. And you see the crowd, and most of the crowd, what do they do? They just put, the, <laughs> they put their heads down. They pretend not to see you as they ironically go into the temple to worship. But this day, you see two men. And it's weird because you look at them, and they actually make eye contact with you. It's not bad. They're looking at me. And so you take advantage of this opportunity and you cry out for alms. You cry out for money. And to your delight, they stop. And they come over to you. And you think to yourself, man, today is looking up. These guys are actually stopping. And yet the first thing they say to you is, silver and gold I have not. <laughs> And you're like, well, that's not really helpful, right? That's not really helpful. Thanks for stopping by. But then you hear these perplexing words. Silver and gold I have not. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And something happens. Those legs of yours that you have not really felt for over 40 years. Those legs that never worked for your whole life. Well, they begin to feel different. You can feel your legs. Your ankles. Your feet. You feel them and, and, and they feel strong. And then, and one of the guys who said this to you, he actually reached, reaches out his right hand to help you up. Well, I can't get up. I'm, I'm lit. Maybe I can get up. And you can get up for the first time. And you're standing. But you're not just standing because this is new. What do you do? I can jump. 
I can leap. Now, just for fun, when you read this passage, notice how many times you read the words jump and leap. It shows up again and again. This guy is hopping with James and John basically into the temple. He cannot contain himself. You jump, you leap, you praise God. And would your mind go to this messianic promise in, in the book of Isaiah? Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Man, you're leaping like a deer. And you look up and you look around as you're jumping up and down with these two guys. And people who've seen you for years are like, wait a second. What? This is incredible. And your life is never going to be the same again because you're going to walk home. You're going to walk home. You're probably going to jump home. You're probably going to leap home, right? And so the account tells us by the power of the Spirit, this poor beggar has been transformed from the one who had little hope to one who now for the first time can enter into the temple and worship God. And many of you here this morning, you've experienced similar type healing. You have. Some of you it's physical, some of you it's emotional, but it's always spiritual. And when we encounter Jesus, our life is never the same. I remember when I encountered Jesus for the first time, I, I couldn't contain myself. I've shared this before, but I just, I remember one of the first things that I wanted to do is sing. I can't sing. I can do a pretty good Rush imitation sometimes, but um, <laughs> nobody knows who Rush is anymore. Um, but I wanted to sing. And I was living overseas in the springtime, and I'd be biking to work, and I'd want to sing, but I didn't know what to sing. I didn't know any Christian songs. I didn't grow up in the church. But I wanted to worship. And so I remember Christmas carols, and I'd, I'd sing Christmas carols, but I only usually remembered the first line or something like that, so I just go through them, but just sing the first. But I wanted to sing. I wanted to leap for joy. When Jesus is at work, stuff happens. Now, what I want to do in our time is just look at a couple of the maybe observations or implications of this, of this passage that I just read. And one of the implications, one of the observations is this, and it's, a, it's an obvious one, but it's a powerful one, is the fact that Jesus is the source of healing. Peter says to the beggar, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I love Peter's response because everybody's utterly astounded. Everybody gathers around. They want to see this man who has been healed. And I love Peter's response. He goes, men of Israel, you're wondering at this. And he basically says, why are you looking at us as if we did anything? We didn't do anything. This man is healed because of the power of Jesus Christ. Why are you looking at us as if we had anything to do with this? This is all the implications of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Because of this, our lives will never be the same again. Me and John, this is what Peter says, me and John, man, we're, we're just witnesses. We're just witnesses to this reality. Look at verse 16. This is an interesting passage. It says, And his name, by the faith in his name, 
has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's a really interesting passage because we read that this man was healed by faith in the name of Jesus. Whose faith? It's not clear. Is it the man's faith? He had never even heard of Jesus. And I think the text, I think, I think Luke leaves it ambiguous on purpose. It's faith. The faith is... It's just the reality of, of Jesus Christ and what he can do. Now, what does this say to you and me today? Well, it's a reminder that our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ, that he is the author of life. He is the one who's in the business of transforming lives. And, and, and what Peter, Peter and John are saying, and this is Peter and John. They're pretty big names in the church. And they're like, hey, it's got nothing to do with us. And so I think it's a reminder for us in our own lives is that we don't go looking for celebrities. We don't go looking for the big healers. We don't go to the Benny Hens and we don't go to the, you know, who can, who can help heal me? Who can help me in this? Is our focus is on Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. It's him who can heal us. It is him who can transform our lives. The other thing that comes out of this is that there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful here. <laughs> we need to be really careful. This passage teaches us that Jesus, the name of Jesus, is not some magical incantation. It's not like Peter says, I say Jesus. And look, what, look at the power of saying the name of Jesus. And uh, not that Christians would ever do that. Um, <laughs> So I teach church, okay, Cam's not here. Yeah. Uh, so I teach church history and, uh, at this, um, this university, and, and, and one of the things we, we look at is, is um, pagan prayers in, in the Greco-Roman world. This is one of the things we cover. And in a pagan prayer in the Greco-Roman world, you had to get the prayer right in order for the gods to react and so you would say the prayer, and you had to say it exactly, you had to do the right movements, and if you got one thing wrong, you had to stop and start again. That's within Greco-Roman paganism. And so if you got one word wrong, it's not going to work. And I usually say to my class, good thing Christians don't do this. You know, I often hear Christians like, oh, did you pray? But did you pray this way? Did you say in Jesus' name? Did you lay hands? Did you lay both hands? You didn't lay both hands? No, no wonder it didn't work. We do this, man. And so we have to be careful. Jesus is not a magic word. His name is not a magic word. Uh, two characteristics of paganism. One is that objects contain magic power and that through the manipulation of our words, we can, we can, we can manipulate God. And sometimes that spills into our Christian faith. We have to be careful. And Peter's just, hey, don't get, it's not, it's not like Jesus' name is magic. In fact, right after this, and I love Peter, he sees every big crowd around. It's like, hey, it's an opportunity to fill everybody in. Great opportunity to preach. And so he preaches the message. And in the message, though, he lays out just 
who this Jesus is. He's not some magic name or anything. He says, who is this Jesus? Well, one, he's servant of the Lord. He's the holy one. He's the righteous one. He's the author of life. He's the risen one. He's the healer and source of the powers of the kingdom of God. He's the sufferer appointed by God through whom sins may be wiped out. He's a long-promised Messiah. He's a returning one. He's, he's, he's a prophet foretold by Moses. He is David's promised heir as foretold by Samuel. He's the offspring of Abraham through through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He, he, he says, this is who Jesus is. And that is why, my friends, we need to go deep in our understanding of God's word. Otherwise, Jesus is just a magic word. We need to go deep into understanding who Jesus is. Otherwise, if Jesus is just some kind of add-on to your life, if he is just some kind of magical something that makes your life a little bit better, then when stuff happens in life, you're going to be swept away. We need to go deeper. I think a lot of people fall away from their faith because they don't go deep in their faith. They don't really know who Jesus is. See, when we locate Jesus deep, deep into God's word, deep into the, his activity in history, then when we enter the darkest night, we can hold on to the truths of the gospel. There's this guy, um, maybe you heard of, uh, it was a couple years ago, um, but it, it's, he's, he's kind of one of many people who are going to Twitter to talk about why they are no longer Christians. So there's this ex-evangelical movement that's taken place in North America. It's just like, I used to be a Christian, but not anymore because of these reasons. And one of the guys just, he, he, he just tweeted like crazy. He's just like, I'm not a Christian anymore. Because here's the thing, how could a good God allow suffering in the world? How can God be sovereign and yet somehow I have free will? How can, and he just went through all these things and then he says, why doesn't anybody talk about this? And I'm like, dude, the church has talked about this for 2,000 years. What do you mean nobody talks about this? Have you not heard of Augustine? Have you not heard? Like it's just been, these are issues that any thoughtful Christian will wrestle with and has some good answers to. But a lot of people, they just don't go deep. They just say, well, I can't understand this, so I'm walking away. Well, you haven't gone deep. You cannot plumb the depths of wisdom and knowledge in the Christian faith. You just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And if you just want to live on the surface, well, no wonder when things go wrong, you're going to walk away. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And you'll discover amazing things about the nature of reality. That's why we do Alpha. That starts Wednesday, by the way. <laughs> I'm teaching a class uh, called uh, 10 Hard Questions. I always promote my stuff whenever I preach. Yeah, yeah. But we're teaching this class Tuesday night, 10 Hard Questions. That's what it's called. And we just hit hard questions each week. Um, this week is, is how can you possibly take the Bible literally? That's the question we're going to be looking at. You know, how could a good God allow suffering? That's another question. But there's good answers. There's good ways to wrestle with this. Anyhow, 
The other thing about <clears throat> the complete message of Jesus, it's not just about knowing, because here's a problem. You can know a lot about Jesus and still miss Jesus <laughs> because you're not experiencing him. And you and I, we probably all know people who could quote the Bible left and right, but they're just not really nice people to be around, right? Know anybody like that? Don't point at them, but just, yeah, you know. There are a lot of people like that. They just know the Bible, and they're just really annoying. <clears throat> and the problem is, is that, you know, they, they'll never even realize that they're missing out because they're in the church, and they're teaching, and they're doing all these sorts of things, but they're missing out on the experience of God. And we need to experience God. We need word and spirit together. And so the goal is to grow in our life in Christ, but also growing in the understanding of God's word. The two go together, word and spirit. And so that's the next point, is that there is power. We live in the power of the spirit. And we need to realize that all the work that's done in the early church is done in the power of the spirit. And there's a huge difference between depending upon the Spirit and depending upon yourself. And here's the thing. I know the difference. I can feel the difference because there's so many times in my life, you know, I, I teach and I preach quite a bit. I've been doing this for 22 years. There's times where I walk away from a sermon. I'm going, man, I nailed that. That was awesome. I could not have articulated that better. And it's just crickets. And I ask people, so what do you think? Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for preaching. I'm like, well, yeah, but what? Yeah, he wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? And there's other times where I'm just like, I finished. I'm like, well, that was just terrible. I'm going to go back to the bookstore and work. Uh, or I'm going to get it. You know, like, I just, it was terrible stuff. And people come up and they're crying. I'm like, why are you crying? Well, when you said that, I'm like, did I say that? I don't even remember. And the difference is the work of the Spirit. And some of you, you know this, because you'll, somebody will ask you, tell me about Jesus, and you stumble, and you bumble, and you don't really articulate it really well, and like, ah, and they're like crying. They're like, that's powerful. Well, it's just a reminder. It keeps you humble, too. It's a reminder. It's, it's a work of the Spirit through you that changes lives. And so all you do, so don't worry. It's like some of you think, well, I can't talk about Jesus, because I don't know how to say it. <laughs> doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit will, will, will guide you in this. And we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And, and the problem is, is that we live in a world where it, that is technique driven. And the church gets, buys into this. And, and the larger the church, we think if we get our techniques right, wow, we can reach everybody for Jesus. You know, here's seven ways to create a holy, you know, a fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in your church. And if you get the technique right, you're, you're laughing. But that's not true. We need the work of the Spirit. There's a guy, Thomas Aquinas. He was a uh, theologian in the 13th century. And once he visited the Pope, Pope Innocent II. And the Pope Innocent II is counting money. And he says, Thomas, you know, counting like all the coins. He goes, Thomas, he says, look, look how the church has changed. The church can no longer say, silver and gold, I have none. And Thomas looks at him and he says, yeah, that's true. But neither can she now say, rise up and walk. 
Because there's a danger with self-sufficiency. And we need to be dependent upon God. We need to be dependent upon the power of the Spirit. Otherwise, you're just operating on your own strength. And whatever you do on your own strength, it may be nice, but it's not going to have any lasting value. Which leads us to the final observation from this passage. And uh, it's just a thing that I noticed as I was reading this passage. Uh, Maybe you did too. Uh, We live the Christian life together. I love the fact that John and Peter are still hanging out. They're still hanging out. They're still friends. Was this, you know, were they hanging out because this is a, you know, Jesus' teaching back in the day about going out in two by twos, you know, like in groups of two? We're not sure. But they're hanging out. They're going to the temple together. And together they experience this miracle. And it's a reminder that the Christian life is, is not a solitary affair. It's never just about me and Jesus. It's to be lived out in the context of friendship. I was going to say community, but community is abstract. Friendship is what I think we long for. We need Christian friendship. Why? Well, Christian friendship helps us grow. One of my closest friends is uh, my colleague, Brad Strelaw. He and I have been friends for years. And Brad will challenge me. In ways, um, when I'm struggling a little bit, Brad will kind of get in my face and and vice versa. We we get together and we hang out each week. And friendship is absolutely key. You try to live the Christian life alone, you're, again, the theological term for you is your toast, right? You can't do this. Uh, Christian friendship is key, especially when you're feeling weak spiritually. I have a friend of mine who's in England and he and I, we email each other and, and and he, he emails me words of encouragement almost every week. And then vice versa. And we need encouragement in the Christian life. Christian friendship means you get to experience the transforming God, the work of God together. When you're in friendship, you get to see some pretty cool things together. So <laughs> I'll tell you a story. So this is years ago. I'm with a friend of mine. And we'd gone to visit this guy who's dying in the hospital. And the guy was a longtime member of our church. He's a great guy. But he's getting older and he was in a car accident and he wasn't doing well. And the family called me and, and, and my friend to come and pray for this guy. And so we walk in into the hospital room and everybody's crying and everybody's sad. And it's, for good reasons. He was a great guy. Everybody loved this guy. He was a great grandfather and... And he's lying in his bed and his eyes are closed and he's on, you know, you know, the next beep, beep, you know, you know the heartbeat and all that. And so, so I'm like, oh man, this is sad because he's, he's a great guy. His name was Les. And uh, the family is crying. I said, well, let me just pray. Let me just pray for him. And I just pray, Lord. And I didn't pray any prayer of healing or anything. I just, you know, he's older, he's dying and Lord, you know, Les has been a great servant and, you know, sad and, you know, we commit him to you. And, and as we're praying, my friend and I, are, we're praying. We're standing over the bed and we're praying and, you know, I got my eyes closed and I open my eyes and, and Les is looking at me. And I look at him and I go, Les? He goes, yeah. And I didn't know what to say, so I go, um... How's it going? <laughs> I didn't know. And he goes, yeah, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. I said, 
You, you feeling okay? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling all right. Like I was just about ready to put coins on his eyes. I thought he was done, right? And, and I said, oh, so you're, you're feeling all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. Oh, look at all the people here. I said, yeah, yeah, we're all here to say hi to you. <laughs> we're all actually here to say goodbye to you, but um, didn't want to say that to him. I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, good, good. I didn't know what else to say. And I just looked at him, so I said, well, I'm going to go now. He goes, all right. I said, I guess I'll see you at the next men's breakfast. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I'll see you at the men's breakfast. He goes, yeah, sounds good. I'll be there. And so I'm walking out, and I just see Les go, see you, Dave. And I left with my friend. I said, what just happened? And we didn't, unless he, he recovered for a while. I mean, he eventually passed away about a year later or something like that. But, I mean, that was incredible. But we did that together. And, and we, I remember heading home, we're just talking. It's like, what, what, what did God just do there? Like, it was just, but when you do life together, and you walk with Jesus together, you get to experience some pretty cool things. And I'll never forget that. I didn't even know what to say after that. The other thing is Christian friendship will keep you out of trouble. It will keep you out of trouble. If you try to do it alone, man, you are, uh, you're in trouble. Uh, how many pastors, how many church leaders have gotten into all sorts of trouble when they try to be a one-man show or a one-woman show? We need friends who can ask us uncomfortable questions. Friends who love you but are not impressed with you, Right? And Christian friendships help us remind us that we're not crazy to follow Jesus. I've said this before, but the strategy of the evil one is very clear, very simple. He wants you to get to the point where you think, I'm the last Christian on earth who honestly believes this stuff. When you get to the point where you think you're the last Christian on earth, nobody believes this stuff, you're done. And one of the things that Christian friendship does is your friend will look at you and say, You're not crazy. Christ is risen. And you say, he's risen indeed. And that'll keep you going. So, these are some of the things I think that uh, come out of this passage. And I, my guess is many of you have a desire for Christian friendship. That's why in our church, small groups are such an important thing. So let us remember that we're in this together. That there's power in the name of Jesus Christ, not just in his magic way, but in who he is. And one of the ways that we can celebrate who Jesus is by, is by declaring to the seen and the unseen world that we belong to him. And we do that by taking communion. So at this stage, I'm going to ask the communion servers, the ushers, to come forward with, uh, with bread and juice. Let me explain what this is all about as they get ready to get their friend. <laughs> I think I kind of sprung that on them. Um, we're going to be taking ordinary bread and ordinary juice. The bread has extraordinary meaning, so does the juice. The bread represents the body of Christ. So when we take the bread, we're saying we belong to one another. That our desire is deep friendship with one another. I'll invite the worship team to come up too. Um, and so we, when we take the bread, we say we're the body of Christ, that Jesus is our leader, and we want to follow him. Okay? That's what you're saying. And when you take the juice, you're saying, 
I am a follower of Jesus. I am part of this body of Christ, not because of anything I bring to the table, but because of God's amazing grace through Jesus. Because of his, Jesus' shed blood on the cross, which the Jews represents, we can be reconciled to God. We can call the living God or the universe Father, and we're an adopted daughter or an adopted son. And so the whole gospel, the whole truth of all that we've been looking at this morning is captured in taking this bread and taking this juice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and then uh, the worship team is going to play and then you can come up as, as, as you're ready. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and if Jesus is your leader, if he's, if he's your Lord, it doesn't matter what church you're from, you're welcome to this. Um, some of you maybe today is like, I've never really considered Jesus, but I want in. Hey, come and take the bread, take the juice. And in doing so, say to Jesus, I want in. Some of you are like, I'm still not convinced. Then maybe just leave the bread and the juice because it won't mean a whole lot to you. Okay? Let me pray and then we'll go from here. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your power. There's power in your name. There's power in who you are through your life, death, and resurrection and ascension. The world will never be the same again. And our lives will never be the same again. We are your body. You are our head. As we take this bread, remind us of this truth that we belong to you. And we belong to one another. And as we drink the juice, remind us that it is grace from beginning to end. That everything we have. We did not earn or deserve, but it is a free gift from you that we can be reconciled to you. That is not, life is not about reaching and striving for you. You've done all the heavy lifting. You've done all the work in coming down and rescuing us. So help us to live in response to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.